Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think one of the hardest parts about being a home brewer, especially when you get into the advanced level and you want to do things that are a bit more, let's say, barrel aged. It's really hard to find a barrel. And when you do, they're a little hard to work with. Well, today we have David Monahan from Squirrel with this innovative new product this week on Homebrewing DIY. Hey, homebrewing DIY listeners. I'd like to talk to you about a piece of equipment that is essential to every homebrewery, and that's your hydrometer. And there is definitely a difference in the quality of hydrometers out there. If you bought in a beginner's homebrewer kit and that's the hydrometer you're still using, those are very inexpensive Chinese versions of a tool that really is a scientific tool that I think needs to be a little bit better of quality. A lot better of quality, really. And that's why I get mine from Brewing America. Brewing America makes a made-in-American, made-in-America hand-blown hydrometer. This is the best quality hydrometer you can get. They show up. You can actually go and test it, and it will be dialed because they make sure every one of them is dialed before they, they walk out the door. Also, they're a lot easier to read, and it's just a much better crafted tool. I love my Brewing America hydrometers, and I use them on every batch. You need to check them out. So head on over to brewingamerica.com. Tell them that Homebrewing DIY sent you, or you can head to our website, use our banner, and it lets them know that we sent you. And if you do that, you're also going to get 15% off. Also, if you just go to their website and put in the coupon code 15% off, that's another way to get 15% off. So either way, we got a deal for you. So check out Brewing America today. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to David Monahan of Squirrel. We're going to talk to him about this innovative barrel technology out of Minneapolis and how it really could change the game if you want to do barrels and homebrewing. It's a very, very cool little project and you got to check this thing out. It's it's actually after our conversation, it does so much more than I thought it actually could. I, to be honest, just thought it was a, a reusable barrel and it's so much more than that. So you got to stay and check out the interview. But first this week, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY for as little as $1 a month. You can have ad free episodes and that supports the show. And just to kind of put some things in perspective for you, it doesn't take much a dollar a month from our listeners really makes it so that this show can really grow. We're, we're now written content, a podcast, and we have contributors. Well, none of that stuff is free. And so in all reality, it's that support that keeps this great contact, content and information and brewing articles and recipes all coming your way. So, you know, support us over at patreon today or you give one-time support over at coffee that's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing diy and you can do one-time support there as well 
Another way to support our show is obviously use our sponsor banners, Brewfather, Adventures in Homebrewing. Sign up through our sponsor banner. It lets them know that we sent you, and they in turn support the show. I'm excited. Sunday, I'm actually going to go down with the Pop Culture Brews crew, and we're going to record our episode for... We're, we're watching The Room, and we're going to talk about that piece of pop culture and the beer inspired by it. I, I made a nice little saison to go with it, and it's kind of a hot mess, just like the movie The Room, so I'm pretty excited about it. And I haven't actually got to try the beer. I've, I've had it over at Andrew's house where he lives in Denver as well. And so he's had a chance to taste it, and I haven't. So I'm I'm very excited about it. And keep an eye out for that episode on Pop Culture Brews. I'll I'll definitely put it into our feed as well, just so you guys can hear the episode. I'm pretty excited about it. And yeah, so keep an eye out for that new episode of Pop Culture Brews, where I will be a guest on the show. Always love that. Let's jump into the episode. We're going to talk about Squirrel. I'd like to welcome David Monahan. David works for a company called Squirrel, and they make a, a square barrel system. It's kind of unlike anything I've ever seen before. David, welcome to Homebrewing DIY. Thank you, Colton. I look forward to talking to you. Uh, I'm excited Colter. to have you, and thank you so much for taking the time to have a, a conversation with me about Squirrel. The reason I had you on the show is I was going through something like Instagram and ended up landing on your website. And when I I saw what it is that you guys make, it was unlike anything I have ever seen in distilling or brewing. Yet in those when it comes to barrels, it's a really essential piece of the of the puzzle because it's essentially a barrel. I how would you explain a squirrel to somebody who's never seen one before? And obviously we don't have a photo of it. So how, how would you explain that to somebody? A squirrel is actually a metal frame that's um, set up to allow us to put wood pieces into this frame that seals tightly so that um, we can uh, give us, give you all the benefits of a wood barrel with um the versatility of different woods, the ability to give you woods that are consistently processed and also typically thrown away in a cooperage. So it uh, allows us to have a more sustainable system and more reproducible system for your products. Yeah, and and the cool thing about a squirrel is obviously can be used in distilling and it can be used in brewing. I would say this show mainly focuses on the beer brewing side. And but also winemaking. Yeah, also winemaking as well, right? Pretty much all the, the three major categories of, of different types of, uh, of alcoholic beverages. Some, at some point, a barrel can be involved, right? And you were telling me before we started recording a bit of the history of how you kind of ended up with a squirrel with uh with russ who was actually the inventor of it i'd love to hear that story because it's so fascinating so why don't you tell us a bit about how the squirrel came to be so russ karsh is a 30-year cooper who was always kind of on the outside edge of coopering where he was always looking for ideas as to how to do these things better and differently so he's got several patents around the cooperage industry and as he was, um, he, he actually started t- two different cooperages in Minnesota, the second one being Black Swan, where I worked with Russ. And he was always frustrated with the wood they were throwing away in the cooperage. And the wood, if you're familiar with barrels, is a very particular type of wood from a tree. We can't use all the wood on a tree. They have to quarter saw the wood, and quarter sawing means we have to cut it in a very special way, um, unlike what you get in Home Depot where they just flat saw it and just use up the wood as much as they can. Um, And they also have to be free of any defects. 
because defects actually introduce bad flavors and also areas for leaks. So after you pick out this wood, they were throwing about 30% of it away because it was too short for a typical barrel. So Russ came up with this idea of using this metal frame with a seal around it so that you could use these pieces of wood that um, were the typical uh, refuse of a cooperage. And I was working with Russ. I had a distillery here in town in Fort Collins. And I, I'm an engineer. And for me, I worked so hard to get these good distillates. And then I put it in a barrel, and it looked like we were throwing our dice. You know, uh, you never knew what was going to come out of the barrel, because um, barrels, by their very nature, are fairly inconsistent because of you don't know what tree it's coming from or where it's coming from in the tree. But also the processing. As they make these barrels, um, they typically will go through a water soak to uh, be able to bend the wood in the way they bend it or they steam it. And then they'll toast it with the flame and char it with the flame as well. And all of that is... Um, fairly inconsistent. So I put this great distillate in there and half the time it would turn out really good. The other 25% may be okay and then some of it wasn't so good. So started working with Black Swan on how to improve their processes and what we were looking at for um, the barrels and which barrels seem to be better. Um, distillers are always looking for this honey barrel, that barrel that makes you, gives you that best product that yeah, everybody just uh, dreams about. And so what we were targeting is a way to make that honey barrel. And Russ said, well, I have this other idea. And what happens is because these pieces of wood are just flat, they're CNC cut, so they're cut precisely. Um, with a gasket in them, and um, we can process them the same way every time. And that gave me as an engineer the, the consistency and the part that we can control so that I always knew what I was getting was going to be the same thing. And that's uh, so uh, eventually I sold the distillery and started working with Russ on the business full time. Yeah, and, and this is a, a kind of unique thing, right? Let's talk about the commitment a distiller makes when they put a barrel, when they put a spirit into a barrel, right? Specifically, like, let's say you're making whiskey, right? You, you're talking multiple years in a barrel. It's a pretty big commitment, wouldn't you agree? Well, actually, um, depends on, as a craft distiller, um, many of us couldn't afford those multiple years in a barrel. Um, yeah. So we were looking for ways to do it in multiple months in the barrel, and that even made that barrel even more important because, again, we were finding barrels where we could turn these products pretty quickly, but that wasn't the normal barrel. And so that was one of the other reasons why I like Squirrel is, it again, it gave me that controlled environment in which I could then start doing my things that may help accelerate that aging process that I wanted. Um, yeah. Be because we all want that, you know, 14-year-old scotch, and uh, there's just no way a craft distiller can afford to put stuff away for 14 years when they first start off. No, and, and what you see out there is craft distillers having a certain per and at least from what i've seen you, you they'll take a certain percentage and kind of maybe set it aside to go into a, maybe a lot more long-term kind of barrel aging but for mm -hmm. the most part they're trying to turn things around as quickly as possible because obviously you have to keep the doors open you have to sell your spirits and it's a business right and uh you, you kind of, if, if you were to start a, a distillery and be like, hey, I'm going to have no product for the next six years, <laughs> you, you're, you're not going to be in business for very long, right? <laughs> Depends on how much money you have. So they said the best, <laughs> the best way to make a lot of money in distilling is to start with a lot more money. So uh, that was uh, that was all of our standard. Um, but this thing, really, we started with distilling in mind. And, you know, the thing we could do is, again, because we can control the wood, we can control how thick the wood is because it was no longer the strength 
uh, the carry the structural form so we could thin the wood, which allows on the beer side, maybe not so good, but allows oxygen to get faster into that um, whiskey as well. And oxygenation is part of what we count on to help give us those flavors. Um, but we could also mix the woods. So you won't find a barrel, a traditional barrel, typically with four different kinds of woods in it because those woods expand at different rates. And they, if you tried to fit all those together, you'd get a very leaky barrel. So, um, and we could take woods that you typically can't use for a barrel because again, we're not counting on that expansion of the wood as it gets wet to seal up the barrel. So, yeah, I'd, um, I'd love to talk about that a bit more. So like essentially what you're saying, you could have a barrel that's maybe half American oak and half French oak, right? That would be one blend. Exactly. Right. Or my favorite Mongolian oak, which is a very deep, earthly, earthy, chocolatey flavor. And uh, the Japanese use this uh, a subspecies of that called uh, um, it's a Mizunora. And so you get some Japanese whiskeys that are aged in that kind of cask. And those um, those those trees, those um, Mongolian oak trees in Japan are very spindly, and they don't get a lot of wood from them that is usable. So again, with this kind of barrel, we can actually use those for aging or for, in the case of beer as well, aging and creating flavors in the beer. Yeah, you've, you've also mentioned this a few times where you've talked about, like, efficient uses of the resources. I, I, I actually did some studying ahead of our conversation and found a really cool piece on your website where you talk about specifically the amount of squirrels that you can use. So, for example, let's just say we have one oak tree, right? And and it would, the diagram you show here is, hey, a, a single oak tree probably makes three barrels if you were doing a, a standard or traditional cooperage. But if you were looking at using that as a squirrel, you kind of get three times the yield out of the same amount of wood. I, I'd love to talk about where, you know, obviously there's benefits to the environment as well, but I would love to also talk about, like, what kind of versatility that gives you when it comes to also maybe recipe formulation and, and, and kind of some, some things that you, you kind of hit on it where you can blend some woods, but I'd love to hear how that can kind of also, w what those end results look like. Okay, so um, as you said, we, we do get a lot more usage out of those trees. And um, when, with the traditional barrel guys, uh, they have to have a certain size piece of wood that they can use. So they may have this, um, what I would call premium looking wood that they're throwing away. And what you're referring to as far as what we can do with those recipes is we can take these pieces of wood that look really, really fantastic and use them in our squirrel, but um, toast them in different ways. So you might have a tree that, um, you're, you're cutting up and you have, I don't know, maybe um, 150 pieces off of that tree. And we can toast those with a light toast, a medium toast, a heavy toast. And every one of those toasts actually create different compounds in the wood. Um, it's kind of like the caramelization of sugars where you get to those points where you get the soft and crack and then the hard crack. And each one of those creates a different flavor that does the same thing in oak and or actually any wood. So we can mix those different toast levels or even different kinds of woods to give you where it won't be that intense sweetness. It might have some of the tannins in it and give you some of that bitter flavor. So it gives you the ability to balance those flavors in your product, whether it's your beer or your whiskey. Um, what we find on the whiskey side is um, not only do we, you know, look at those toast levels and typically for a bourbon you want the medium toast and that gives you those nice vanillas and sugars um, but then also we adjust the uh, alcohol level so that we actually extract those compounds that we want and leave behind the ones that we don't like. Uh, 
which is not quite part of that squirrel process, but it is part of what we look at on the distilling side. Yeah, I'd love to talk about, like, for example, obviously you have different barrel sizes. You you guys can do small barrels all the way up to big barrels, right? And and essentially, uh, you know, I'm a home brewer. Uh, we're a home brewing show. I, yes. we're, we're not going to be using 55 gallon, uh, <laughs> squirrels, right? Uh, if we do, it's going to take five or six homebrewers to fill it. And my joke is always like, when you do a collaborate like, like that, you're always as good as the worst beer that goes in there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, where, whereas like, you know, a barrel size that would be more ideal for, for maybe my size would be closer to maybe five or 10 gallons. Right. You guys do make squirrels of all different sizes, correct? Yeah, we do a, a 10 gallon. We also do a 30 gallon and a 60 gallon. And the difference with these squirrels, especially if you're a home brewer, is unlike a barrel, we can actually pressurize these guys. So, I mean, we have pushed these things up to 120 psi. Wow, um, if, that's if really you, high. If you try that with a traditional barrel, you're creating a weapon where that end of that barrel is going to come <laughs> flying out and somebody's yeah. going to get hurt. Um, because that seal around those ends is not really all that great, you know, and it's only held by a little piece of wood. Um, with us, with the squirrels, um, really it's, the, it's that uh, structural steel frame that really holds it all together. And... These things where start off, start off square will actually balloon out, um, but they won't break. If they break, you'll, what you'll see is you'll see a, a, the gasket break loose, and then that will release all the pressure. Um, so by allowing you to pressurize it, you don't actually have to fill it, right? So you can put your five gallons in and then put a CO2 cap on it and keep it sealed that way. That's so you awesome. Don't, you don't have to have, like, if you if you bought a sixty gallon barrel from a winery, you've got to make sixty gallons of beer to put in there. So you don't have this uh, a lot of oxygen at the top. And, and talking about you know being able to pressurize it, right? You, I, I don't think, and I'm going to ask this question because I don't know this answer. Could you, in theory, actually serve from it? Actually, we have several breweries that do that. So they have the they tap it right directly. So we have the we have a cap on this that we can change the type of cap, and so depending on what you want, we can put a keg um, connector onto the top of it, so you can just uh, tap right into it that way. That's um, awesome. So yes, we and that's the one thing breweries like is the ability to um, be able to just you know start aging their beer in it they can taste it they're not dealing with the nail and the you know and all of that stuff as far as trying to be able to taste the beer you can just uh, pull it right off the top and uh, then serve right out of it as well how how many uh, are they staves what's the terminology you're using for so they are staves and with a typical when you're looking at like a typical 10 gallon barrel there's uh there's uh, three staves per side, so it's a four-sided since it's a square, so you get 12 staves. Okay, and, and just, you know, obviously the, 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 the model of the business would be you would buy the squirrel, right, and that would be a one-time cost. And then every time you make a batch or every few batches, you would swap out the staves. How, how many, uh, if we were looking at... Uh, we'll talk distilling as well because I do have distillers that listen to the show. Okay. So let, let, so I'm not only beer. And so I would say if you were making spirits, you're probably only going to get one batch out of a batch of spirits, right? It depends on what you're making. Uh, definitely with whiskey, I would say two potentially um, because the intensity is pretty strong. Um, these 12 staves and a 10-gallon gives you a lot of intensity. So um, you're really what you really try to do. And, you know, if you're a true commercial distillery, if you're making a bourbon, you always have to have new staves. It has to touch new oak. So if you want to follow the, the law, that is the law. 
Um, but because the, the intensity is so strong, if you're just a, if you just a, if you are home brewing or home distilling, you actually only need maybe six staves that are fresh and six that are used. And you'll see the, the, the wine guys do this all the time where, you know, that's part of what they'll do is just go into a, a fresh new barrel for a while, but they actually go in like the, uh, like the uh, used barrels even more. So yeah. it depends. We've had, we have occasions where, you know, after three days, especially with beer, the, the flavors are so much that that's where people stop. And so after three days, because you're pressurizing the beer in particular, you get these flavors really quickly. And, um, yeah, uh, especially with the fresh wood, three days is about all you're going to need. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Do you guys have the ability to like, for example, if I'm a home brewer, one of the things I like to do is get an old whiskey barrel, right. And reuse that for beer. Is Mm -hmm. that something where, you know, you could take these staves, maybe soak them in whiskey for a certain amount of time, add them then later to the barrel and then be able to barrel age that way. Yeah, we would actually, we often will blend. So we'll have like a Chardonnay and a tequila staves that we put together. And that's that way awesome. you get a, a unique flavor that way. Um, we've that's unheard a lot. of. Think about that. That's yeah, unheard of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we we have done some work with uh, Peter Bocart at uh, Purpose where, you know, we've used different uh, flavored staves, as we might call them. Um and uh, can create some pretty unique situations, as well as with Peter bringing in some of the exotic woods that he likes, like Ambarana, you know, that very spicy uh, cinnamon-like wood that's used for cachaca, but also I'm trying to think of the brewery. Uh, well, I know Denver Beer Company has uh, had an award-winning beer where they've used Ambarana as well. Uh, are are so, you in Colorado? I am. Oh, awesome. Where, where are you at in Colorado? I'm in Fort Collins. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm down in Arvada, so I have De- oh, Denver okay. Beer Cove. It's right, right down the street, so... Yeah. 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 I, I, I actually, because of the, com- you know, how we hooked up, I figured you were in Minnesota because everybody else was, so... Nope. I'm, I am the Colorado connection that... Uh, Actually, uh, Colorado was really the first state where we've got a lot of traction with the squirrel. Uh, yeah. So you'll, you'll yeah. see them around in quite a few places. That's awesome. I could, total, I, I could totally see that because obviously, in, at least in the brewing and distilling world here, there's just a lot of competition and everybody's kind of looking for that edge, right? Yes. And, and so, you know, being able to do such a unique kind of combination of, hey, I've got half whiskey, half Pinot Noir, and I blended these together, throw a beer in there, and just have a unique flavor that nobody else could really reproduce. That That's just really intriguing to me. Yeah, and then throw in a, an exotic wood like a Mongolian oak that has this deep, earthy, chocolatey flavor that is in the background. But you don't want it in all the staves, so you only use it on maybe three staves. And with Ambarana, we found of the 12 staves in a 10-gallon, you might only need two of those Ambarana staves to really give you those flavors that you want. Wow. So, um, yeah, we've had we've worked with Jagged Mountain, too, on some of that, and they've done a lot of unique stuff there, too. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm actually, as we've talked, because to me... I, I, I was very one-dimensional going into this conversation, right? Like, uh, oh, hey, this is a, a better use of resources. It's a barrel that you can reuse, which is, you know, always one of those things that you always think about is that, you know, you're if, if I'm a home brewer, A, it's already hard enough for me to get my hands on a barrel. And then when I do, I get like one, maybe two. And if I'm lucky, three batches out of it, then the barrel goes sour. And if I don't want to do sour beer, it's done, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah. It, the the idea of being able to actually reuse the same barrel over and over again. And I looked on your website and saw the prices of your staves. They're not overly expensive. It's, this isn't something where uh, I feel like you would get in. If you're, if you're into barrel aged beers, 
for pretty much, I would say, less than getting new barrels every time. You're, oh, yeah. you're basically able to maintain and have a, a barrel program at a homebrewery level with a, with a squirrel. But here's the thing that I didn't get was that you had all these options. That That's just completely mind-blowing to me. So cool. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that whole price thing, you might only need three staves. You don't need all 12. So yeah. when you change it out, I wouldn't buy all 12. I mean, yeah, the company's not going to like me to say that, but you really <laughs> don't need to do that. And just keep, keep, keep a lot of the neutral ones and just uh, change out some for the flavors. And the other thing about it is, you know, and I had a commercial distillery i had a couple hundred barrels they leak and these things don't leak and so if you're in your house you know you always have to find a place to put that barrel so that when it starts seeping you know it's not going to cause any damage or any problems whereas you won't have that problem with the squirrel and um trying to think i forget the name of the uh homebrew store on broadway south broadway um jamie is the owner uh, he has a little brewery there too, so he usually has a squirrel in the floor full where he's aging it in his store. Is it so, the high altitude down in in uh, down in Rhino? Uh, no, I'm trying to. I'll have to remember that, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's unique in that way as well. Yeah, how long has squirrel been around? You know, um, we've been around for four years. Oh, so it's so, it's a pretty new product then. Oh, yeah, it's very new. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And so just starting to get traction, especially in the um, especially in the distilling world, you know, change happens very slowly. And um, it, you know, because, hey, this is this is your livelihood. This is something that you're going to put in there and you're not going to know if it's working for, you know, a year or something like that. So uh, people are testing it out. Um, we we have been testing in wineries as well. You think that, uh, you know, American oak barrels are expensive. French oak barrels are ridiculous. Ridiculous. And so yeah. for us to get the, uh, you know, into a winery, and uh, start you have them start using the the barrels. We can really, really be price competitive, and so we have several wineries now that are using the product as well. Um, yeah, I would say and that our biggest challenge initially was finding a way to get those staves to seal to that stainless steel. And we've been through several iterations, and we had some customers that you know just lived through it with us. But we finally have a product now that um, we can stand behind and I can tell you that gasket's tight. So so each stave has, is it a rubber gasket? What is that gasket? Each stave like? has a gasket made of something called EPDM. And it's a, um, it's a very neutral um, polymer that works with especially the high ethanol, the high alcohol, and uh, doesn't degrade. Actually, we work with the same company that does all the uh, all the very high end coolers, so uh, all those expensive coolers and those guys uh, um, use the same product that we're using at the same base. So that's awesome. And then and then that that basically is a gasket that goes on the outside of that as they lock in. How how do they, do they slide into place? How how do they lock into place? So basically, the way they lock into place is you come in from the inside of the barrel, and there's a gasket around. You put the gasket on the piece of wood, and then from the inside of the barrel, you set this into its opening, and there's three screws uh, built into the frame that you or, uh, screw holes, and you screw through the frame into the wood to connect it. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you the hardest question. What do you think is if if I'm a if I decide hey this is the way I'm going to do my barrel program, whether a home brewery, a, a distillery, or let's say I'm a brewery, what would you say is the the biggest challenge your customers have with your product? Uh, I think the biggest challenge that uh, you know I can tell you that I've experienced as well is. Um, 
the government, uh, TTB. So um, as I don't know, as a distiller, they were always my enemy for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they're kind of nice to breweries. Um, but they, um, they're very particular as to what can be called per- particularly a bourbon. And will, we, will they call this a barrel or not? And we're still in the midst of that argument, whether they will allow us to call this a barrel. And also, um, and breweries don't have this problem. Some of these exotic woods, because this is a distillery, we need formula approvals and we need everything that's in our formula to be approved through FDA and all these other um, stringent requirements. And when you're dealing with something like Ambarana that's been used for, I have to say, a century to make cachaça in Brazil, they they say, well, this isn't a wood that we understand or can you know can guarantee isn't going to be toxic um and you know some people will tell you cachaça is toxic to your brain but um i'm not sure the umbrella has anything to do with that so. yeah cachaça is also like 80 percent alcohol <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty rough it's a brazilian yeah. version of rum yeah, and it, it's a really high octane version of that, and so the idea is that you know, uh, so uh, that amount of alcohol in a short amount of time is actually damaging to your brain. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I think that would be, you know, that's that's probably well, that is definitely our biggest, our biggest hurdle, or our customers' biggest hurdles, is just trying to get. We have a customer that's been trying to get Umbrana because they love it for um, some of their distilled products. And we just can't get TTB to agree that, you know, Umbrana is safe because almost every cachaça that is sold on the shelf up here is aged in Umbrana. So. Well, and I, I will say the good news is that as a home brewer, you're not limited to that, right? <laughs> yes. And so... It is something where if you want to be a little more experimental, you can. It's one of those things where it's a lot easier to homebrew weed beer, right? Because you don't have to deal with the federal government. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're in a legal state, let's just say if you're if it is legal to to brew with marijuana in your state, you should probably not do so. But here in Colorado, uh, people do it, especially at the yes. homebrew level, and yes. uh, it is something where. At a homebrew level, that's really the only way you can get it with THC in it. And so it's because of that that federal regulation, there, there, there are certain ingredients where they just come down like a hammer. Bam. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Believe cannabis me. Cannabis is I, one of those. I have been on the receiving end of that hammer routinely, so I know <laughs> what it's like. <laughs> That's I awesome. was on a first-name basis with the head of the uh, uh, TTB, the head of the regulatory side. Um, um, so Chris and I have talked to each other routinely. Um, so, But he's a friend. He actually came out and did a tasting at the distillery as well. So. And I'm sure he was actually, was he, was he impressed with the, the flavors from the barrels? That's the question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to be impressed. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is I, um, you're familiar with uh, Peter Bocart and Purpose up here in Fort yep. Collins that does the sours. So Peter, you know, Peter loves his traditional barrels. He just, you know, tra- tra- everything, almost everything he sells is in a barrel. And but what he finds sometimes is he just can't get that barrel to just finish that product. And he'll use the squirrel to kind of soften the edges. And, you know, so he'll, he'll be a year, maybe a year and a half in a traditional barrel. Then he'll throw it into the squirrel for a week or two and soften it up. And then that's what he'll serve. So You know, it, it, softening up sours is something that is something that, and here's a, thing that i i love to talk about with sour beer you 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 don't know this but if you've listened to my show i talk about this all the time in the united states when we want something to be sour we want it to be as sour as it possibly can be <laughs> and if we want something to be hoppy it's got to be as hoppy as it possibly can be mm-hmm. there is no nuance in american anything right mm. and and so but but to me that that's also a problem right uh, right 
and and I love the idea of hey, you know, I, I've got a, a a barrel house filled with all these different si- types of sour beer. I'm gonna blend them to come up with the the flavors that are gonna be enjoyable to drink. And I I personally love sours that have nuance. They are sour, but they're not like you know, it's not like eating a lemon. And mm-hmm. and for me, it is that to me are the best sours out there. And, and, and I feel like when people tell me they don't like sours, the reason I always say is because you haven't had a nuanced sour Uh, and, and, and it, because, you know, people make sours that are so in your face that you just can't, they're undrinkable in my eyes. Right. Right. You know, well, even for me, for kettle sours, kettle sours tend to have this harsh bite to it. Yeah. And, and they're one dimensional just, anyway. And they're one dimensional, but throw it in a squirrel and you can really take that harsh bite and soften it where you still get the sour, but you then add a little dimensionality to it, but you also take that edge off of it. You know, and the thing about Peter is he says he's Belgian, so he doesn't have to follow any rules. So that's what he does is, you know, he'll throw something else in there just to help it or, you know, find some weed along the road and throw that into his beer because um, <laughs> that's what they do over there. Uh, I think when he was he was there with his previous partner, they were using leeks to flavor their beer in Belgium when they did a, a brew over there. So. I, I- and, and to me, that's the cool thing about the Belgians. They just do what they want and call it beer. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, you know, you are right kind of where, you know, we have to have the, uh, you know, we're looking for on the distilling side, you know, that that cast strength that will just, you know, eat, eat the enamel off your teeth or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you really want it to where you can just uh, enjoy the flavors and, um you know, but I'd have to say as a distiller also, I'm probably, uh, I can actually enjoy the flavors even at 120 proof now. So um, it probably is less for me. That yeah, way. but for for me, I always, when whenever I've tasted whiskey, I always just, you know, put a little dab of water in there, open it exactly. up and, you know. Just mm-hmm. it, that, it, and not no ice. Ice never touches my whiskey. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm that guy, but it's uh, it's just a you know, it's like a little dab of like you know, just really amazing tasting water, and it, you know, uh, if you were to have let's say an ounce of whiskey, we're talking maybe a quarter of an ounce of water, not very much, but right. all it does is it opens it up, really makes it so that like when you taste a a really high end whiskey like that, it, you're you're in a it just has it's almost it brings out the sweetness and it takes the harshness away and you really mm-hmm. start to 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 dive into what that whiskey is right don't i wrong. don't know I've if had... you're familiar with the idea of ethanol clustering and i'm not um so you know a lot of people wonder well you know what makes one vodka better than another or, you know um, what happens as whiskey ages well you know one of the theories is as whiskey ages um, when it starts off, uh, ethanol clusters into these big clumps. You think of it that way. And those big clumps give you that really harsh, hugely intense ethanol flavor. As you let it uh, sit around for a while, or, you know, as people treat their vodkas differently, they break up those clusters so it gives you a smoother product. And, you know, part of what you know i was always interested in and still play with is how can i and i know this is the distiller's dream and we're all looking for it what can i do to give me that product faster and you know there is a couple um companies out there that claim that they'll give you this you know 25 year old whiskey in a matter of a a week but you know they and uh as a distiller, they were talking to us about charging us a certain amount of money for every gallon they make. Um, but they use things like um, ultraviolet light. They use lasers. They use uh, ozone um, to do some of that work. So, um, Man, the so- cool thing software about is this- a service and whiskey right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the cool thing about the squirrel is if you want to do those experiments, you have the ultimate test vehicle. Um, because you can create those environments much more easily in this uh, in this squirrel, um, because we have all those um, connectors, all those inputs, all those uh, all that ability 
to actually get into that whiskey and, you know, introduce a laser, introduce ozone, ozone and pressurize it under ozone. So uh, a lot of options. I, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of blown away by this conversation because, you know, I, I obviously went into this. So just, just to kind of, if you're listening to this, uh, Squirrel is not a sponsor of Homebrewing DIY. I reached out to them because of my sheer interest in this product and definitely something that I, I'm like, oh, hey, I like to make barrel-aged beer. This looks really cool, right? That is the extent of our relationship. And I have to say that I, I'm, after this conversation, overly intrigued with what what I think a squirrel could probably do with at least me and maybe some of my friends who are into barrels and, and what we are, we've been doing. I'm, I'm actually a lot more excited about this product, but that said, you know, say I'm interested. I want to look at it. Wh- where would I go to, you know, find squirrel? How, how, how do I, you know, look at, you know, pricing for what I might need? How do I find yeah, this? At this point in time, other than, and I'm trying to think, I, I don't remember what Jamie's shop is, the homebrew shop. Um, most of the squirrels you just buy online. It's you're okay. better off just going through our website. And, uh, when you, you know, in particular area, if you need references, if you're in a, you know, whatever state you're in, we can give you breweries that you can visit, you know, or distilleries, you can check it out and see what you think and uh, potentially taste a beer that was, you know, aged in it to give you some of that. Um, and particularly in Colorado, you're going to find quite a few breweries uh, that uh, have used the squirrel or have the squirrels in-house. Other than Denver Beer Co., what's another brewery I should maybe try out that uses So squirrels? Jagged Mountain, um, okay. if you're familiar with Allison. I am. Jagged Mountain. And... Uh, she has the squirrels there. Um, trying to think, Renegade. Who else has? Love yeah. Renegade. Yeah. Uh, and down in Monument, a distillery down there that makes moonshine. Three hundred days of shine is. Uh, they they do some unique. So Colorado, stuff there right well. there. It's <laughs> <laughs> Colorado. Yeah, they actually make the Colorado version of moonshine. Yeah, so. but no, the 300 days of shine, that's like the exactly. total. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that are not from Colorado, the, 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 the selling point of living in Denver is that there's over 300 days of sunshine here. Exactly. You, you wouldn't think that because it's like, you know, the whole Rocky Mountains and the snow. But we, we all live on the Grand Plains. We, nobody actually understands that Denver's on the Great Plains. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> our only issue is sometimes the smog is bad enough that you can't necessarily see the sunshine. Or Man. right now, the wild, the smoke from the, the wildfires wild have made it rough. It's it's been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not like last year. Last year was really rough in September. Oh man, last year was gigantic fires and you couldn't even see the sun. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was for sure. Uh, especially around Labor Day weekend was probably like I, I was like, oh, I'm in the Denver apocalypse today. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Pretty we just stuff. unfortunately we just can't use pine or anything like that for our barrels, so um, that that kind of wood just doesn't work. It's... Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, oak has a certain character, and 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 specifically, I mean, obviously they've made barrels out of oak for hundreds of years, right? And there's a reason for it because it works, right? And it's just that that hardwood could, you know, considering the the old technology of a standard barrel, you, you think about it, you've got a a, a bunch of, of slats of wood that are, are carved in a certain way with an end cap and some rings, yet that can hold liquid. I mean, you know, kind of think about that, right? This yeah. Is, it, 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 there's no there's no gaskets involved because gaskets didn't exist 200 years ago <laughs> exactly yeah so. and that's um and if you actually i mean on the scotch side they uh it's for the scotch guys you can't even use glue in your barrels or anything like that yeah um, so yeah for that to seal and that's why we have to cut it a certain way because then those channels that typically carry the water and the food throughout the tree aren't are in such a orientation that they don't go from the inside directly to the outside and oak has a particular character where every so often you'll find this um this little thing that seals up those those channels that uh, keep that leakage from occurring 
So oh, that, that's, I, could, I could spend a whole show just talking about what that wood is and how it works and why it works and, you know, some of the I, things I, we I do, might have so. to have you back to talk <laughs> about that because uh, that, that would be very, very interesting to people that listen to this, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, David, I, I want to thank you for coming on Homebrewing DIY. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, I will put a link to squarebarrels.com right in the show notes so you can go check it out and, and look at it. Uh, I will tell you, the website, you, you want to go to the shop because the shop has really great photos of what a square barrel is, whereas like the website itself has like close-ups, but it doesn't have like a direct shot of like what the, the barrel looks like. So make sure you go check out the shop because that's a great place to like get a good shot of what it looks like. And yeah, thank you for coming on Homebrewing DIY and just educating us on this really cool technology when it comes to barrels because... It, you know, you, you've taken a hundred year old technology or hundreds of year old technology. Hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and turned it into actually something modern that has real benefits. It's really cool. Yeah. We didn't even talk about the fact that it's square. And so you can really store these real easily and they stack. And <laughs> oh, so man. you can, you can, didn't you even know, think about that. Flavor, <laughs> take, pull it off and take, you know, tap right out of the middle of the stack and get flavor, get your uh, taste right out of there. So, oh, yeah. Didn't yeah. even think about it. Or trucking, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, well, well thank you, David. Appreciate your time. Have a, have a great day and, and thanks for coming on Homebrewing DIY. Sounds great. Thank you. like to thank david for taking the time to come on this week's show it was a very very cool conversation and i i'm gonna be straight up with you when i reached out to them to talk about it i i thought this was a cool tool but to be honest i had zero idea of the benefits there's just wow so many so much stuff going on with the squirrel so very cool you can find us on social media we're on twitter facebook and instagram just look for us all under at homebrewing diy well, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY.